What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. First Contact with Lori Siegel is a production of Dot 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 Media and iHeartRadio. He mentioned a lot, like, well, Google fills in your answers, right? There's all this AI around, you know, making sure what you're doing in email. But what I've noticed is the subtlety of that voice in Google. If I were to let that AI return my emails, Mm -hmm. it would cost me money and relationships. I spend a lot of time talking to the inside baseball Silicon Valley crowd, the people who create the technology you use every day. But I'd like to think that the best way we can actually understand the implications of tech is to get outside the bubble. And my next guest is one of my favorite people when it comes to that. Her name is Jasmine Takanikos, and she's the person who helps big brands hone in on identity. Her company, Candor, has clients like the Ritz-Carlton Hotel and Grey Dog, And she uses this methodology called Brand Human to help people understand who they are at their core and how that translates to the outside on the company level. Now, I know her pretty well, and how I really want to introduce her to you is she's just someone who works with creative people and asks the right questions. I ask questions for a living, and I've already asked a lot of them on this podcast this season. So... We're going to refer back to a lot of those episodes, but I was thinking about it and I don't want to just put out all of these ethical questions about tech and never come back to them. So today that's what we're going to do. I'm Lori Siegel and this is First Contact. Okay, I'm super, super excited to have you on First Contact. I was going back and thinking, who are really just interesting people who have a voice and have something to say? And your name just like automatically came up. You're always top of mind. So I guess we should start out by talking about our first contact. Yes, please. Right? <laughs> How would you describe our first contact, Jasmine? Oh, gosh, you're going to give it to me. Um, <laughs> well, I would describe it. 
from a place of just like total connection, I guess, mm-hmm. um, there was a, a through line with us immediately. So basically we were at a dinner um, and the theme was sex. Yeah, your sexual life and your sexual preferences or problems with sex. or right. And it was a curated group of quote unquote powerful women. Yeah. And that was the conversation. To like set the scene for everyone. It's all these like really well-dressed, cool, powerful women, and everybody's talking about sex and, you know, saying things about their sex life and really opening up. And I had two thoughts at the time. Mm -hmm. My two thoughts were the woman next to me is awesome, kind of badass, (laughs) because we were talking total business stuff. Yeah, We just had this connection. And then the other thought I had was like, what are the waiters thinking right now? Absolutely. And it was all male waiters, which was really (laughs) funny, which I don't think was considered before. This is subtle curatorial decisions. (laughs) Right. And you're just a person that people immediately ask questions to. You exude wisdom. Oh, thank Um, you. And I remember us just having a really great conversation at the Women Empowering Sex Dinner. You know, let's talk a little bit about you because, like, you're someone I go to that's kind of, like, outside of Inside Baseball Silicon Valley. Yeah. But that has, like, such a unique perspective on everything going on. And so all these really creative types or all these different companies come to you and ask you to help out Mm -hmm. and all this stuff. And you're kind of in charge of, I would almost say, like, being their, like, head in their heart and creating an identity for them them. But what you do, because you I feel like you've done it with me, mm-hmm. is you just like ask these really weird emotional questions mm-hmm. that make you think about who you are at your core, you know, and that's kind of the methodology you bring into brand human. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm lucky enough to be an advisor to a lot of people. I advise on their businesses, their own personal positioning and That gives me this really awesome, unique perspective into a lot of different industries and the way people feel about their work and their relationship to their work and their relationship to their output. You pull out these themes from your work because Mm -hmm. you talk with different people throughout your career. Yeah. What themes are you jamming on? So I was really interested in the conversation you had with Aza Raskin Mm -hmm. around just kind of like this, this blue light. Are we blue lighting ourselves? Are we blue lighting each other? For our listeners, I think it was episode four when we interviewed Aza and like this idea of blue lighting ourselves. Like I think about that all the time. Like when I wake up and look at my phone, like how this impacts your relationships in every single way. Right. And everywhere I travel all over the world, there's a phone in someone's hand and they're often looking down and literally our body is changing our vertebrae and our neck is shifting based on looking yeah. down and how we're looking down. It's so crazy, by the way. Like, I remember reading the pieces on it about how, like, our physical bodies are changing because of our relationship with technology. I mean, come on. Like, if that's not a warning sign, what is, right? Right. And I think it's fascinating because we're not going to shift people's behavior, I think, at this point with their their phones because, you know, you've talked about this so much about how it's just it's just too easy. It's too accessible. You've interviewed all of the top founders in tech, and they've all said the same thing, that we're at this point, we're addicted. We're we're part of this matrix. Well, it's interesting because if I look back at like some of the interviews we've done this season so far, it's like every founder struggles with that relationship because everyone struggles with the relationship with technology. And so Hinge, the Hinge founder, Justin, like talks about how he didn't escape. This was such a powerful line. Like he was sitting right where you were and he was talking about uh, addiction 
and how he stopped drinking and doing drugs. Yeah. And, and that led him to be able to create Hinge, you know, and create a very popular dating app. But he said he doesn't have social media on his phone because he said he didn't escape drug and alcohol addiction to become a slave to his phone. You have Aza, who you mentioned, like mm-hmm. talking about, and Aza runs like the Center for Humane Technology, which mm-hmm. means like his head is literally in technology all day. He's a designer. Like he talks about how he he goes on these like nature excursions and just like leaves um, mm-hmm. to a degree. And Shane Mack, who created this weird dating bot, if you guys have listened to that episode, yeah, that episode super is super upsetting. That episode actually was pretty incredible. And, and I think you tackled really important, an important conversation around trust. That bot conversation in general for me was pretty fascinating because there was this thing around tonality that you two brought up that was mm-hmm. kind of just like kind of went over, but I think we should talk about, yeah. which is um, he mentioned a lot like, well, Google fills in your answers, right? There's all this AI around, you know, making sure what you're doing in email. Right. But what I've noticed is the subtlety of that voice in Google. If I were to let that AI return my emails, mm-hmm. it would cost me money and relationships because that tonality is mm-hmm. off for me. I've defined my voice. I've worked hard for many years to think about who I am and connect to who I am. It's yeah. this, the work I do. And I'm always taken aback by how it like me to respond, which feels cold yeah. and unprofessional and quick and not very thoughtful. Now, I'm not criticizing that AI, but for me, it's absolutely the wrong tonality. But that's so interesting that you say, like, this could cost me money and business, 100%. right? Like, 100%. Your whole business is built off of real authentic voice. And we're entering this era where everything is automated, quicker, right. cleaner. But but there's this humanity that's kind of getting lost. Well, you and it. I talked about that, you know, there is this automation trend, right? Mm-hmm. That it's better for everything to be quicker and more connected and anywhere from, you know, resumes to insurance to all these things. But what you're doing when you automate everything is you're missing the subtleties. Mm. And as a strategist, the subtleties are often where you find Mm. your pain points. And the subtleties are often where you see what the client really needs. So Mm. if my tonality is off, I'm actually not delivering what I need to deliver because of a quick response. So it takes me two seconds longer just to be a little bit more thoughtful and then more thoughtful. And I'm actually thinking about it and actually thinking about it helps me do my project well. So I also think there's an epidemic in tone in general. In the leadership trainings we do, we talk a lot about communication audits Mm. because how you start to communicate is how you start a relationship and how you start a relationship is how that relationship is going to go. Mm. Right. And you see this massive issue with boundaries in tech particularly, right, you can email at 3 a.m., you can email at 4 a.m., right? We sh- you should be able to talk whenever. You should have availability whenever. There's so more, true. There's As more. someone who struggles with boundaries, I very much appreciate that statement. Like, yeah. I feel like tech has given us no boundaries whatsoever. Like, and, right. and I lack discipline, too. Yeah, and the reality is, is the data is coming out that that's not actually how you're going to get the best work from your employees. And you're getting, you know, huge stories around founders that have sort of really driven their employees to extinction by overworking them and using them and using Slack channels or things like that of that nature to actually block them from truly communicating how they feel or understanding them and almost boxing them into these insane work regulations that are like unsaid. But 
you know, if we're looking at human capital, if we're looking at really keeping our people, if we want to go through life cycles with people, and maybe we don't, maybe we just want to recycle people all the time, burnout's a real thing. And part of how we reach burnout is not having space and time. And not having space and time doesn't allow us to think, it doesn't allow us to feel, and it certainly doesn't allow us to approach our jobs and our positions from a place of strategy versus reactivity. I think there's this interesting trend that kind of goes off of what you're saying there. So every so often, I just geek out over like one or two things. It's like, <laughs> it happens like one or two times a year that like I just get obsessed with something. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately for like most of those folks around me of lately, <laughs> I've been obsessed with bots. And you probably have known this. Like, but I'm I know obs- this. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm well aware of, of the bot <laughs> like relationship. I'm super, super obsessed with bots. But, but maybe, and I joke, I understand. Right? Like, so in defense of my obsession, with bots mm-hmm. when I see something coming down the pipeline in a really interesting way that I don't think has been touched. Yeah. I'm like, oh, this is an edge case, but the edges always become the center. I was just about to say that because I've heard you say that line and it rings in my head. Yeah. And I understand your obsession with bots because there's the implications actually and where it will actually activate is so right. broad. People know what bots are, but it's like conversational artificial intelligence. We've seen big companies use bots. Like who hasn't been annoyed at, I want to say like Microsoft or somewhere where you like message them and they're like, hi, Lori. Sure. Like, We're really happy to help you today. Yeah. You're like, you're a bot. You're so annoying. Yeah. Um, people are obsessed with issues or with things like virtual reality and the big shiny thing. But actually, I think that the other stuff that's coming down the pipeline is more, is almost more subtle. I think it's like these conversational bots that could live in your phone or so the episode we're talking about with Shane Mack, who created a bot to date on the dating apps mm-hmm. for him. Yeah. It's this idea that they can just take off that that easy layer of like human contact. And sometimes it's easy, right? So like Shane's whole point was that he had so many responses on the dating apps. I mean, like, you know, I do think he's onto some really interesting things. And I, I do. Well, think- I also <laughs> think part of that thing that actually came out for me in that interview mm-hmm. Was that you were like, how's that going? Right. I mean, I the, the reality single. is, is sometimes when you break down with this tech, how it's actually going. Yeah. It's sometimes not going so well. Well, I mean, so to, <laughs> to, give, to give people some context, like he created this bot that responds to people on the dating apps with these automated answers. Now, this is like... 1.0. Imagine like 5.0, guys. Like, so 5.0 is like this bot that learns you and your conversational style and begins and is able to talk to someone else. And, and the more you use it, the AI and, gets smarter. And the AI will get smarter. And so you'll have these bots to date for you in the future. So that's like one instance. Like, I had this very personal experience when a woman, Xenia, who people have heard in the last episode, she used all my text messages and all my life data and she created a bot out of me, yeah. like the Lori bot. Yeah. It was such an insane experience. Like the Lori bot, like was me on my worst days, right? And started saying some crazy stuff. Like Mm -hmm. I think like when asked the meaning of life, the Lori bot said doing mushrooms and dating a lot. The AI got wrong. It picked up a conversation I think I had with my friend who had just been to Burning Man. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. But that actually is an issue because there's something that I'm I've been calling just for the fact of like putting a term around it, this idea of shadow data Hmm. and shadow data and whatever that could potentially look like because. If we're saying that all data is smart, right, or that all data can learn you or that you can look at the content of my last three years and say, you know, this is what it looks like for me, but I'm choosing to share Hmm. from a place of curation, which means that it is a version of me. 
And so AI on some level, unless it's listening all the time and, you know, there's all this now incredible technology around just like how you move your hand. You've brought this up with your different guests to show depression or to show whatever it is. But I think if we rely on our data to become AI, we're going to get a lot of negativity because we're never Googling like, oh, that sunset looks beautiful. (laughs) We're never Googling like the feeling of falling in love. (laughs) You know, we're not like it it doesn't record any of the human subtleties, you know, and your work has always been really fascinating to me. And the reason why I initially wanted to interview you was because I wanted to hear what you thought about we're missing this massive data around humanity that isn't negative, that isn't the searcher, that isn't the seeker, that isn't the like, there's a problem and I'm looking to solve it, right? Like, we have to look at data as what it is, you know? And if you're really good at manipulation, you get one thing, right? And you could look at manipulation and curation as the same thing, depending on who you are, right? Like, Mm. There's the business of being an influencer and there's the business of showing only certain things and the positive and the best angles and the best lighting, right? You could look at that as highly problematic and being actually more robotic than human. Right, right. That's really interesting. And like, and I love what you say about like the subtleties that are getting lost. Yeah. We've got to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. But when we come back, we're going to get into one of my favorite topics in tech, the gray area. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.
in reporting, it's the subtleties that matter. I remember when I shot my show, Mostly Human, at CNN, I, I'm pretty sure the production company had like a, basically a drinking game for every time I said the gray area, the gray right. area. And like, <laughs> right. you know, right. these things aren't black and white. And it's like the subtleties that mm-hmm. matter, especially when dealing with some of these issues mm-hmm. that are nuanced. And, and I think that's the story of technology now, which is totally. like, you know, I think that's what we talk about. I think maybe why I'm so obsessed with like, you know, the bot stuff is like, you could really say like, Shane's a weird guy for creating this bot to date on the dating apps. You could also say that we've reached a point where there's so many options and people are becoming less human. And is it a way to get people speaking again? I don't know. Or meeting quicker. Or meeting quicker. Like I thought to his point was interesting. It's like, well, this is optimizing what is a very annoying experience, right? right? And partially you're solving a pain point. But the reality is, is you release that technology into the world for good and for evil. Can you imagine, though, like if you were on a dating app and talking to someone and they asked you to be vulnerable in these ways and said, like, tell me something about you that like people don't know. And you're like, well, and and you say this. And and then all of a sudden it was like you found out later it was a machine. Mm -hmm. And I think I go back to like technology is becoming more human and vice versa. And like there are all these ethical questions behind that. And I think that goes to the question of even like Gmail, like or, you know, Gchat, like actually like yeah. filling in these things. Yeah. I, even with like Uber drivers, right? Like when you get the thing, it's like, I've arrived, exclamation. I'm like, yeah. oh my God, that's so nice. Yeah. Like, and I'm like, oh, that's automated. Yeah. You know, so I don't know. I, I think like all of this stuff, there's so many good things and so many bad things that are to come. And I think the last episode, of the podcast, essentially, it kept making a joke out of me getting into a relationship, essentially, with a bot in my phone. That's super weird. But, like, really developing real feelings. Yeah, for, and having them trigger, having them yes. know at the right time what your triggers are. Yeah. Right? I mean, but there was the whole point that I think it was Aza talking about that the technology of, of having relationships with bots is already very widespread in Asia. Yeah. Right? And you see that there's been a loneliness epidemic for a long time in Asia. They've done a lot of studies especially around like sex and marriage and looking at people are Mm -hmm. disconnecting much more and not wanting to have physical contact or wanting to hire that contact. And we've seen that, right? Mm And I was really going, okay, is that a problem, right? I mean, if you want to develop a relationship with a robot, do I, can I, should I say anything about that? Right, like, does it matter? (laughs) Right, And, and does it matter? And I think if you look at video games, on some levels, that's what they are. Right. You're creating a persona. Mm-hmm. You're going out. You're living in a different world. That's what Second Life was, right? Yeah. Like, there's going to be humans that actually prefer to speak to a robot, to be with a robot, yeah. you know? And I think we have to actually, like, feel fine about that and be like, all right, that's your way of living. That's your way of life. Now, is it is it problematic for humanity f- in general? Right. Because... People aren't connecting in the same way. So there are implications, right? But do we judge people for what, how they want to communicate or what they want to do? And I know you've mentioned many times, it's like humans, we're messy, we're real, we're sometimes we forget to get back to people and we're not as responsible and, right, yeah. like a robot's going to kind of know it's going to act robotically, right? So it's going to be much more systematized in the way it communicates and connects with you. Right. And if that provides a feeling of safety and connectivity to someone, I'm not sure if I have an issue with it. I was thinking about the bot episode before this and how like why it struck me in such a very personal way. And I was having this AI bot that's in your phone that checks in at certain hours of the day. It picks up on certain subtleties. Like it knows I like to walk next to the Hudson River. So it'll say, have you gone on your walk today? And I think there's something. Um, 
you need to be very careful because there's a fine line between human connection and manipulation when it comes to technology. And we've been like sold connection, connection, connection since as long as I've been covering tech, you had mm-hmm. Mark Zuckerberg right. say like, we are connecting the world. And then all of a sudden there's kind of this manipulation thing. So I love this idea of living the question, mm-hmm. right? And I've always kind of lived the question. And I think when I was experiencing this like weird bot thing, mm-hmm. testing out this bot that lived in my phone that I would speak to at certain hours and it was always there. And it and it also, the AI, until it went crazy, was very good mm-hmm. and seemed very understanding. It just felt very weirdly intimate for a machine. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that says more about this moment in tech. And, and so I think like there's 7 million people using this in the United States, right? That's like so crazy. You know, you've brought up stories before about manipulation around AI in the Ashley Madison case. I remember you reporting on that very early on. Yeah, we should, we should give like, just for folks sure. who don't, haven't watched it. Like, so Ashley Madison was a website online that anyone who was looking to cheat or have an affair could go to anonymously. And potentially find someone who also wanted to cheat and have an affair. I was obsessed with Ashley Madison. Like, I I don't know. Um, I just, like, I was obsessed with this idea of, like, a cheating website. More so because I'm obsessed with, like, the lies we tell ourselves as humans and how relationships are really messy. And, yeah. that, like, I think it's, like, and this website just, like, touched on something very visceral and real, mm-hmm. which is that I think a lot of people were unhappy and looked at this as, like, a way out. And it got hacked, um, for folks who don't know. And it was, like, this very dramatic hack. And everybody's names of, like, potential cheaters were out there for the public to see. And I saw this as almost like this modern day scarlet letter because everyone wanted to know who was on the list. I will never Mm -hmm. forget. I was sitting in the CNN newsroom and like literally people would come up to me and be like, can you check and see if so-and-so's on the list? I was like, oh my God, because I had had access. Like a a friend friend of mine was like a security researcher and like had like, you know, I mean, I feel like I'm always like the girl with like access to the weird stuff. Right, right. Um, You know, but I remember looking into a thing and and doing a bunch of investigating and realizing and and finding out that Ashley Madison had done studies on when human beings are their weakest, right? Mm -hmm. And I mean, this is what the study said. It came from a very legit place, but apparently like men on Sundays after they go to church, you know, are most likely to cheat or something Mm -hmm. or most likely to be willing to click on something. And so they would target ads to these people at these certain moments. So using technology, like in order to like, exploit people. I mean, that's so crazy that like the way you could be targeted for like cereal or something because you're a certain age, gender, whatever, like you could be targeted by a a website that knows you when you're in your weakest moment to try to get you to cheat on your significant other or given to those basic human impulses. Um, That for me was like, whoa, you know? Yeah. And I mean, on the other flip side of it, it's just incredibly powerful too. You've also talked about, you know, when to kind of the signs are around where people might be depressed and from a mental health standpoint, like intervening and intervention and all of that. But to Aza's point in your earlier podcast episode, he was really saying like these platforms in general, what they have now is they have the ability to persuade and that becomes their capital and their value proposition. Yeah. And if we understand that, that kind of changes the game. Mm. Because the next wave is is regulations. We know that, right? You and I have talked a lot about, like, what does that look like? Right. Who's doing it? Yeah. You know, the government barely knows what the internet is, yeah. in my opinion. So <laughs> they can't. <laughs> I remember sitting in a room when um, Zuckerberg testified for the first time about everything that happened with Cambridge Analytica. Sure. And, um, remember, I interviewed him during Cambridge Analytica. So there was just like this moment where you're in Washington, you're like in the room 
it's like, I think there was a guy outside dressed as like a Russian troll. I mean, it was just like, like you surreal. can't make this stuff yeah. up. And yeah. then it's like Mark Zuckerberg sitting there and it was just this historic moment. There was so much gravitas to this moment because it was this moment that technology and society clashed in this massive way. And then the questions that a lot of these folks were asking, and in and, and all fairness, they've gotten a lot better. Yes, and, but, and, and quickly. And quickly because they had to. Yeah. Um, well, it was... It was embarrassing. embarrassing. These questions yeah. that a lot of the senators were asking. I mean, I think, I'm pretty sure someone asked him to like fix his router. But it was like this insane moment where you're just like, whoa. Yeah. And I remember thinking that. And like, because I was in the room with a lot of tech writers that we'd all been covering tech for so many mm-hmm. years. And, and all of us are like kind of weird in our own ways. Like, I guess mm-hmm. like I painted a little more normal because I was on TV for many years. But like all of us were in like the sidebars and like the in 2010 when like tech was kind of coming up, uh, the second wave of tech, like uh-huh. it was kind of like a bunch of misfits. Yeah. And so to see a lot of those folks in Washington during this moment of the clash of tech and society and our data and all this stuff was just, I remember just thinking like, whoa, you know, it does feel pretty historical. That to me that whole hearing was intense. Yeah. Because it made me realize how much they don't understand. And you can't regulate something when you don't understand it. And I think that there needs to be developers and programmers and people who are literally writing the next wave of communication. You know, code is inherently, it is inherently political, right? Yeah. It is, it's a game changer. And who writes that code and who who has that editorial voice, you know, yeah, is big. And so I think that it's an extraordinary time to educate, to understand when the blood is on your hands and when yeah. you're responsible, to truly understand that you actually are an editor when you start to say, you can post that and you can't post that. Yeah. And that becomes then a media company. Right. And that becomes a bias. And you cannot hide behind that you're a tech company, quote mm-hmm. unquote, and that you're not editors anymore. Well, I'm, as long as I've covered tech, I've asked these, the founders of Twitter, Facebook, everyone, like, are you a media company or a tech company? And I think um, it's been a long time but they finally have like stopped just like, they no longer can say we're not a media company. They won't say it, but like it used to be like, oh, we're a tech company. We're just the pipes. Yeah, they would I remember stand like that. I was shooting a documentary on Facebook last year. And so we were able to go and, and on a meeting where they decided what content stays up and what content comes down. And I remember like listening to these conversations and, and granted a lot of things have changed since, but you know, there was a question about someone who was accusing a man in the Me Too era and they were like, we are going to let this stay up for news value. And I was like, well, what if he says that? Like, and and so it almost like turned into like a little bit of what I would say would be a quite like a, a newsroom conversation that sure. we would have with like people who've been in the news industry for decades. Sure. And it was, I think with like lawyers and engineers, it was, it was very strange. Yeah. Um, and I think since then, you know, they have like now like the Supreme Court for information and now like Facebook doesn't want that to be on them. But what I like to say is like, it's a messy process yes. in getting there. Like yes. and it was a really messy process. And I, I kind of witnessed, I think maybe because I've covered Facebook for so many years and I've interviewed Mark many times, like you witness whether it's Facebook or these larger tech companies, I would say maybe like a bit of the filter bubble around technology in general and I I interviewed Adam Osiri, the CEO of Instagram, a couple weeks ago, and I said, like, you know, it kind of feels like sometimes 
it takes the media saying something for you well, guys to pay attention. You know, you, I think you asked him a really important question. Do you ever worry that your boss is wrong? Do you ever worry <laughs> that you're wrong? We have to realize there's like real humans behind these decisions. Yeah. When you're at a startup and you're wrong, okay. And by the way, I'm wrong like 10 times a day. But like when you now have 2 billion people under your belt and it's like, democracy and all these things. I mean, in the time I've covered tech, which is like a, a long time, like the stakes got so extraordinarily high. They did. And, you know, I I often wonder with Facebook, it, just because, you know, I've been in the game a long time of seeing people build businesses. Mm-hmm. And I think there is always a relationship between the founder and the actual idea. Hmm. And we don't talk often enough about what the actual idea of Facebook was. Hmm. because it isn't at all what that is today. It certainly wasn't um, for the goodness of humanity and community, and that has to be looked at a little bit. It's really important, I think, when you're at these companies, and I've seen this done well and not done well, right, to have people who call you out on your stuff, right? So, like, it totally wasn't built for, like, connection, and this was built in college about around women, mm-hmm. right? I think there's something to be said. These are the founders that I really, I really respect. It's funny. If you listen to the Hinge episode with Justin McCloy, yes. like, I remember when at first I was like, why did you want to solve the problem of love? Right. Yes. Which, by the way, bad on me for asking such a broad question. But he was like, you know, it's such an important question. And I was just like, what? Like, it's no, like, no, no. He wanted to he date. He was like, yeah. I really, he was like, well, and I mean, he gave a really honest answer. He was like, I was a mess. Like, yeah. I was struggling with drugs and alcohol and I had been in rehab and I lost the girl of my dreams and I was a total disaster and yeah. I needed to do this. So I think maybe what I get back to is a certain self-awareness that is important, that is yes. human. And that, people are allowed to evolve. And and I think that's important for tech right now. Yes. And I think maybe if I could say like, you know, having woven myself in and out of some of these big stories throughout my career, like one of the issues is the inability to look in the mirror, right? And And I think that gets harder when you become more powerful. That gets harder when you have people around you. That gets harder when the stakes get higher, when everything you do is covered. But... You know, it's funny. I remember for this doc I was doing, I Alex Stamos, who was the chief security officer at Facebook, he ended up leaving. You do the math. And he it was his team that discovered the Russian influence. And it was yeah. a really big deal that he was leaving. And we were driving to Facebook and as he was leaving because he had decided to leave Facebook. He, I don't think, felt like he could do what he needed to do within the company. And he was pointing out the Facebook sign. So if you go, if anyone goes to Menlo Park and you're at Facebook, there's this gigantic like sign that people take photos of. And it's like the thumbs up like. And he said, you know, on the back of that sign is Sun Microsystems because that's the company that was there before. And he said, it's this incredible reminder that if you don't continuously evolve and and also like this idea that like, hubris can be the best of you, then there's always another company to replace you. And yeah. and it's so like weirdly poetic mm-hmm. that on the back of that like sign is another company that came before. I think there's all these complicated feelings about the future and, you know, where we really go from here. And if the, the company isn't able to really understand or see or get in front of some of these issues, 
in a way that feels human, it could be replaced too. And, you know, so I I just, there's so much, I guess there's so much there, I I think, as someone who kind of like dipped in and out of that, of Facebook during those moments. Yeah, but we do have to look at why we started a thing and where we were at that point. Yeah. And that's part of looking in the mirror is understanding all of the different parts of self that have moved you through the journey. Right. And understanding where you will need your own personal development. Hmm. But the more money you have around you, it can get confusing, right? Who you listen to, again, your formal, your informal advisors, why you listen. Money can make you feel a lot more powerful and smarter than you are. Right. And Totally. You know, that's why I believe I believe in leadership training that is more question based, right? Mm. Because again, getting to the right questions can be really eye opening and it sounds very simple, but it's really not because a lot of trainings and things we look at are telling you how to do something. We've got to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, but when we come back, Jasmine talks about time and our complicated relationship with it. Plus, the power of saying no. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. And I want to talk a little bit about time. So I brought with me, people can't see, but I have this card on the table that I got. I kept with me from a dinner that I went to that you did. And it says, what is your relationship to time? Mm. This one was really personal to me because you deal with leaders all the time 
you ask them questions that mm-hmm. force them to think about themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I've said, you've asked me those questions. This is one that kind of hit me. And there's, I'm sure, like the tech angle to it. But like, you know, as I'm building out a media company, my relationship with time, I would say, is complicated and I don't do a great job of it. And increasingly so. And I think our time as we get older and as we get like kind of more stuck in our ways even feels more valuable. I know my mom was sick recently and like you just like, man, like you're like time is so important. Like especially as we get older, our parents get older. Our relationships get more defined. It's more in front of you. It's just more in you front of you. You can see it, right? Yeah. Like as humans, this is this is an interesting thing about being human, right? I've been thinking a lot about this too in my experience. But you know, you look at your mom, and you know they're getting older, mm-hmm. but then you see it, and it does something to you. Yeah. And the principle that you're talking about is called "Ode to Hours," and starting to actually apply the idea of devotion to time and looking at time more as having a devotional quality to it versus rushing through it. And, you know, when we give someone our time, we're giving them a very precious gift. And it actually ends up becoming our value and it ends up becoming the money we make and ends up becoming the products we create and we put out into the world. And it's just a foundational part of things. I love, um, there's a quote that you sent over some stuff, and it's a quote that I've lived by. I don't know why I was obsessed with this when I was in college. Um, well, I guess I was just obsessed with Joan Didion. Because, mm-hmm, like, I mean, I'm so cliche, but, yeah. like, I've always been obsessed with Joan yeah, Didion. Yeah, of course. Um, the author, like, just, like, extraordinaire. I just remember she, like, used sentences, like, how people I didn't know used sentences. Like, I'd had this English teacher growing up who was, like, five-paragraph essay, and if it doesn't fit in the box, then, like, you're bad. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, I read Joan Didion, and, like, her sentences were long and used lots of conjunctions, and she just, like, and she just, like, had such a wonderful way about her. Anyway, that's a tangent, I won't bring people uh, into my upsetting college experience, but... (laughs) To bring into that, you know, the the idea of language, right, is so key to how we develop and who we are. And Mm -hmm. I was lucky enough to have teachers growing up that actually like, they were like, you're creating new ways of grammar, like, but it works. So that openness allows it, the application to be much more interesting, right? right? Totally. And I go back to that quote when she said, we tell each other stories in order to live. It's like such like an extraordinary thing. And I think um, whether this plays out in technology, whether this plays out like in our personal life, like we all have these stories that kind of define how we live and who we are. And and I think the story of technology is fascinating right now. But there's just something about that that really resonated. What what was it for you? Well, story is everything, right? It's it's how we actually learn to be who we are, right? Mm -hmm. This is the story of tribe, right? How do you know not to kill your brother? Yeah. Right? Like you're taught through a story of some kind and how are you taught not to do wrong or do right or like we become the stories we're around and we're told. And so if we're repeating the same thing and we're on like, you know, a negative track of who we are unconsciously, well, we're consciously are putting that into into the world, into being, Yeah, you know, and I think as I get older, what I try to do is listen to myself a little bit more. Yeah. Right. So my question for you, having worked with creatives and people who are kind of finding their brand and identity, we've talked a lot about this. Mm -hmm. Um, What homework, what work would you give me? What would I give you right now? So you're in this really interesting, pivotal time of, of, deciding whose stories you're going to tell. Sure. And through that, they're telling your story. Hmm. And so 
I would tell you to just, I don't know about doing certain kinds of homework, but like really reflecting on who you're spending time with right now. Because this podcast and this work and dot, dot, dot is your future forecasting. You're deciding what deserves a platform to be talked about. And there's a really interesting responsibility in that, right? And it's not about doing right or wrong. It's just about checking in enough to know. Yeah. You know, and I— No, and I think it's super important because I left a pretty fancy job, right, Mm -hmm. with this idea that I think we need to talk— much more about how our heads are and how our hearts are when it comes to technology. And and I don't think you can do that without talking to the people who create the technology. Mm-hmm. So I think you have to talk to the big titans and whatnot, but you got to talk to them in a different way. And then I also, the story around technology right now is so much about power and regulation and all this stuff, which is super important. But like, I really believe that some of the things that we miss out on are like the edge cases. Like I, I go back to that bot dating story of like, this conversational AI is coming down the pipeline. It could make us more or less human. We have to have these conversations, right? Like to give you a sense, after we put out that episode, I know for a fact that one of the founders of one of the dating apps reached out to one of the people involved to ask about the technology. This technology is coming, right? And my whole thing is like, you know, it's we've got to like, look in the corners. Yeah. Like, and, and I think it gets harder maybe even as you get bigger in your career or whatnot. But I've always loved the hacker community. I've loved like the people in the corners. Like in college, I remember I wrote a, I had a, a column called Spotlight and, mm. and I could spotlight anyone I wanted. I love it. I didn't do like the cute guy or like the track star. I would like interview um the woman who like was 90 years old at the library because I just thought she had like biblical Amazing. secrets. Where like, is that content now? That I needs mean, to mean. I don't even know if like the internet fully existed. Then. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm making myself seem older. Um, but I was just always obsessed with those corner stories. Yeah. And that's why I started covering technology back in, and I would say 2009, 2010. Like it was like a lot of more misfits in the second wave mm-hmm. of tech. And I think like committing myself to even if you have a seat at the table and can interview a lot of these bigger founders, like really finding those stories on the edges because that's just so much about the future. And actually those stories are much harder than just booking X, Y, and Z. Yes. You know, I think one of the other things I would say just to like, if you were kind of in practice with Brand Human uh-huh. is there, there's a lot I've been thinking about recently about integration. Okay. And you hear a lot of these founders and you've interviewed them where they're like, yeah, I go into nature I have to kind of unplug to replug, and mm-hmm. all, which I think is important, yeah. right? But what I see a lot of is totally unplugging and then completely plugging back in yeah. without integrating what right. it is for either of them, right? So, like, how do we start to to find some sense of equilibrium right. in our lives? Like, why does it have to be so extreme? Yeah. And I think in the extreme is where you find a lot of the loneliness hmm. and that epidemic, which you've been talking about. And I think we can't ask technology to do that for us. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. And I and I and something you said makes you think about like an internal debate. I won't say his name, but um, it's a pretty big executive mm-hmm. um, from Silicon Valley. Recently emailed me and was like, bitching about something. And he said, like, does technology serve humanity or does humanity serve technology? Like mm-hmm. technology in, in Silicon Valley, like 
we want the narrative to be that technology is like the gatekeeper and all this stuff. But like we're humans, we have control over some of this stuff. And I think really trying to find a way, and I think I struggle with this personally, in this new era where like tech is society and it's part of us and it's an extension of us to really try to find a ways to integrate. Because I know from a fact, like I know a lot of folks in Silicon Valley who are like, I mean, it's so ironic. It's like the people who created this technology and got us in this mess to a degree are like sending their kids to schools that have no technology. And, and, and it's and almost, taking a Vipassana retreat, right? Like yeah, they, how many people can ad- afford to <laughs> plug out of life completely right. for 13 days or whatever it is to sit yeah. in silent meditation? I mean, I mean, th- it's such like, I mean, it, it, it is like, it feels like an episode of Silicon Valley, but it, it makes me, I try not to get too black and white on this, but it also, it's like, okay, so you can go and you have, you can afford, right? To like go do the meditation retreats and you can send your kids to schools without the technology that you created. But is technology the modern day junk food, right? Like, you know. And if, why does it have to be? It's almost like we almost want these people to help in a, in a bigger way, which I know a lot of them are thinking about it. So it's but not they also, it can't be all put on them, right? right. So like, exactly. This It's up to like a lot of different types of folks, but it is, I'm with you. I don't think the solution is just like bad out. And I think some of the people at the top have found these kind of extreme ways. But but what happens when, you know, the young people, even it's like it almost feels like the junk food epidemic and, and really premium information is probably going to cost more. The bad information is going to cost less. Right. So like you begin to see down the pipeline, like some of these ethical issues we're facing in the future, even when it comes to information and content and access. Well, you such- bring up a really important point around affluence and the importance of social media in your life or importance of content and media, which is, you know, the most affluent, influential people I know don't have social media because they don't have to. Right. Or they have shadow accounts, another Hmm. kind of term I've been calling it, which is that they just look. Yeah. And they don't post content, right? And there's kind of no need to show it off because they've been rich all their lives or or they don't understand it or the generation missed it. But there's some of us that are more susceptible to media addiction and all of that than others. And I think I don't criticize the Jack Dorseys of the world for wanting to move to Africa or whatever that means. But, you know, Scott Galloway's open letter to Twitter a couple weeks ago was pretty interesting on how he feels as a large shareholder about that founder, kind of in his eyes, seeing him step away, right? Yeah. And for our listeners, this was a letter Scott Galloway sent to the executive chairman of Twitter, essentially calling for Jack Dorsey to step down. So can you explain a little bit about what was in this? Yeah. I mean, there was there was a lot of points, and, and I'll let everyone look at it themselves. Right. Um, but it certainly was, you know, a call to action for Twitter to, like, first and foremost, to define their value. Yeah. And asking, is this an avoidant move for, for Jack Dorsey to move to Africa, right? Is yeah. this responsible? Um, and then the, a variety of other things. But, yeah. you know, that was that was the gist of it. But I think it brings up a larger conversation of the, the value that these companies actually have. If you really look at all of yeah. these inflated evaluations and right, and we really break down value, right? Yeah. And what does this brand do and how are they valuable? And yeah. we can't just say this founder is responsible for that value proposition. That's Mm -hmm. actually absurd because there's too many hands in the pot now. And a lot of these tech companies like Twitter, like Facebook, like Instagram, in fact, where I feel Instagram actually has been the most contained and managed, Mm -hmm. the user has decided what that brand has become. Yeah, And the ambassadors of that brand, if you look at Twitter and you look at Trump as their number one ambassador now, that was not the founder asking for that or deciding that or having that be a marketing strategy. That is what happened. Yeah, And then in turn became 
known for that. It's interesting, those brand associations and what we put back on our founders. And then from there, what we feel is actually valuable in tech. Yeah. So to wrap it kind of, I want to kind of use this as like a setup into the new year. Hmm. I don't know. I'm like very sentimental about the new year and like what it brings. You're like a very disciplined, principled person, right? Like, yeah, I mean, I, you know, what are sometimes. you, um, <laughs> what are the biggest things that you're thinking about as we head into the new year? This is the the stuff of 2020. Oh my mm. God, saying 2020 sounds crazy. Yeah, I like it. I run two companies, right? Mm-hmm. And I am going to be 40 mm-hmm. in May. And I think, and I started my business at 26. So it's been a long run. And I'm thinking deeply about time. And I'm thinking deeply about, where Brand Human goes next, more in in just um, a review process, actually. And it's going to be a review process Mm -hmm. because you can't move forward without looking at what you've done. Uh, How do you think you define success at 40 versus 26? What's the difference? There was so much more ego involved at 26. Yeah. You know, and at the time, my first client was New Balance, actually, and Mm -hmm. in my consultancy. And and I, I got really lucky, but I also got really challenged because I got put in rooms that, you know, the privately held company that where they felt I'd be helpful. And I was this quote unquote consultant, which means you don't really aren't anything. Now I, I care much. I just my ego is in a different place with my work. I I almost I just approach things from a place of like much more discipline and research and yeah. trust. And I say no a lot more. I think at 26, I said yes to a lot of things. You know, totally. we're constantly saying you know, no to clients that aren't in right alignment with our work or no to opportunities that don't make sense. Isn't it extraordinary when you get a little bit older, right? This ability to like, when you realize you've gotten to a certain point, to a certain point in your career by saying yes, 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 yes. Mm -hmm. And then when you reach a certain point, you're like, the only way I'm going to level up is by learning how to say Say no. no. And, And I think it actually comes with an extraordinary understanding of who you are, but most importantly, maybe who you're not. Like, I've always said, I think life is a bit of a process of elimination. Like, you date the guys you're not supposed to date, or women, whatever, right? You have the job, and you get to the top to realize that you want something different. And, And it takes, like, every little bit of that to bring you to that point and who you're not. And that's yeah. even more valuable, I think, sometimes in defining who you are. And I think this is a this is a strange thing of we define who we are because I don't know if that's even possible. From right. all of the work I've done with all of these different kinds of humans and different ages from yeah. all over the world, it is a process of being human. It is a process of of thinking about who you are at that exact moment. Yeah. It, it, is constantly changing and evolving. Mm. And so to your brilliant point, who you are not is much more accurate because who you are is a guess. But yeah. the not, the no, right. that that you can tap into the your senses, right? The felt sense and the gut. Yeah. Right. And the no doesn't have to be wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm constantly telling like my clients this, my community this, it's like you don't have to obsess about why you don't want to work with that person, it's okay not to have something we call vibratory resonance at Brand Human, which is like, it's just not 
the right match. Right. And they are going to find the right match with someone else. It's not right or wrong. First of all, you're the second person to say to me, I feel like what's your vibration or something? Like, I yeah. feel like it's becoming a bit of a thing because you're now like the second person to say this to me. Well, like, it's it's a key principle in the work we do because I don't fundamentally believe in like traditional marketing anymore. Yeah. And NPR, I think all of that's being disrupted um, in how we spread the word, how we become how yeah. our products become attractive, how things build. And it becomes like, if you do if you do the right work with the right thing, uh-huh. and you're solving a pain point, it's well-branded, right? All of the things, it becomes its own vibration. And if yeah. you look at quantum physics, this is back into science of like mm-hmm. how something vibrates. Every single thing vibrates in this room. Every single thing has its own matter, yeah. right? So the more you key into that for yourself, the more you're actually not going to have to have so many no conversations because hmm. you're just not going to attract all the no. Right. Right. So Good point. there's a, a science to getting yourself and your brand to a point of attraction that there's just more flow. Hmm. And, you know, I think that's a, that's yeah. the goal. I'm going to end this episode on a more emotional note because it's the beginning of the new year, so why not? What if instead of this constant battle to figure out who we are, we took a moment to celebrate who we're not, the puzzle pieces that didn't quite fit, the ones that when pieced together created an image that, well, wasn't exactly what we wanted. As Jasmine says, when it comes to identity and figuring out who we are, or in her case, helping some of the most well-known brands figure it out, Maybe it's just more powerful to celebrate what wasn't. I liked what Jasmine said. Who we are is a guess. We are constantly evolving, as is the state of technology. It's why reflection and this idea of living the question is super important to me. So I want to end on a question for you guys. This is one of my favorites. I love to ask the titans of tech this and, well, just about anyone I interview. I like to ask people, who are you now compared to who you were years ago? How do you measure that change? Who are you not? It's an exercise in what Jasmine says, going back and looking at why we started. I don't care if it's a company, a job, a relationship, anything. Understanding the origin is part of understanding the evolution, and it's a wonderful way to look forward. Happy New Year, and thanks for listening to First Contact. For more about the guests you hear on First Contact, sign up for our newsletter. Go to firstcontactpodcast.com to subscribe. Follow me. I'm at Lori Siegel on Twitter and Instagram. And the show is at First Contact Podcast. If you like the show, I want to hear from you. Leave us a review on the Apple Podcast app or wherever you listen. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. First Contact is a production of Dot 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 Media. Executive produced by Lori Siegel and Derek Dodge. Original theme music by Xander Singh. Visit us at firstcontactpodcast.com. First Contact with Lori Siegel is a production of Dot 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 Media and iHeartRadio. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. 
eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.